Well, if you have your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 is where we'll be today. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can read along on the screens. We'll have the scripture up there for you. But Exodus 32 is where we're going to be. We're going to continue our series called Rescued and Redeemed. We have just a few weeks left uh, before we conclude this series. And I hope you've enjoyed watching and experiencing the journey of the Israelites being set free by God from slavery in Egypt and now uh, left in the wilderness. Here they are. Uh, with God. God is present with them. He has a plan for them. And so are they going to be obedient? That's the big question. Well, let's pray and we will dig right in. Lord Jesus, again, we love you and we're so thankful that we get to be here and worship with you. Lord, worship you today. Lord, I pray that uh, your presence would be with us and that you would speak to us through your word. Let us be transformed by the power of your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's where we left off last week. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's at the top of the mountain spending time uh, with God, right? God is instructing Moses on how to build a house for him, a house for God. This this house, this place of worship uh, will be called the tabernacle, And so God is moving into the neighborhood, right? He is going to come down from the mountain and he is going to live in the midst of his people, which is very fascinating, is remarkable, right? To know that the God of the universe will live, his presence will be among his people. So Moses is on the top of this mountain for 40 days, all right? 40 days and nights. And so this is, it's been over a month, right? It's been over a month when we get to Exodus 32, the people at the bottom of the mountain, right? Two million plus, that's how many people, or just a large group. This is becoming a nation of people known as the Israelites. They're waiting for Moses. It's been over a month. He's nowhere to be found. They're not sure what's going on, right? They didn't realize that God was giving Moses this these wonderful instructions and and telling him, I'm going to come and reside and live and dwell among you. The people did not know that Moses was receiving these instructions that God was coming to them in that way. So they grow impatient. And what we're going to see happen today is really one of the most tragic and terrible acts of rebellion that you will ever see in the Bible. So Exodus chapter 32 Let's start in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now at this point, Moses' brother Aaron, remember Aaron has met with God as well. He got to go partially up the mountain and dine with God. Remember, have dinner with God. Remember, we saw that a few weeks ago, if you recall. At this point, Aaron should rebuke these people. He should condemn them for wanting to rebel against God. Have they, have they quickly forgotten all that he's done for them? Delivering them and rescuing them out of slavery? From Egypt, 
right? Killing Pharaoh and his army by parting the Red Sea and then bringing it back and them drowning. He, he rescued them. He saved them. He's given them good rules and good laws to love him, to love each other. How quickly they have forgotten his provision in the wilderness when they didn't have water, when they didn't have meat, when they didn't have bread. God rained it down from heaven. Have they quickly forgotten? Aaron should be the leader at this point to say, what are you thinking? What are you talking about? But what does he do? Verse 2, so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They just go about their normal lives as if they have not just committed the greatest treason you'll ever see. What are they doing? They're building this golden cow and they're bowing down to it and worshiping it while God is on the top of the mountain meeting with their leader, telling them how he loves them and he wants to live with them. How could they be so foolish? How could they be so foolish to do this? And Aaron, what is Aaron thinking? What is he doing? Why is he giving in to this? Why is he not taking a stand and saying, this is not right? We love the one true God, our Lord who's rescued us. We want to devote ourselves to him. Why would we give ourselves to anything else? That's not what Aaron does. He participates with them. He constructs the idol for them and they just eat and drink and rise up to play and go about their normal lives as if they have not rejected God. Verse seven, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. That's, you don't want to be called stiff necked by anybody, but especially God. All right. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God is taking this seriously. These people have entered into a covenant with God. They have agreed. Do you remember that? Just a few weeks ago, they said, whatever the Lord says, we will do. They agreed to give themselves wholly to the Lord. They said, we will follow God with all of our lives. We'll love him and we'll do whatever he says. And now they have completely turned away from that. They've completely rejected God and God is not okay with that. He's not okay with his people treating him as if he's just some other item on the shelf that they can pull down when they need him. So he's gonna destroy these people. 
But Moses pleads with God in the next few verses to not destroy his people, and God decides to not send his wrath and judgment as they deserve. He's going to be gracious, and he's not going to wipe them out. So Moses goes down the mountain. He meets up with his his assistant, Joshua, and look at verse 17. Let's skip down to 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they're coming down the mountain, right, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat. No, it's a different kind of sound. It's more disturbing. But the sound of singing that I hear. You see, Joshua and Moses are coming down the mountain and they hear this noise from all these people. These people are having a party. Not only have they rejected God, they are celebrating their rejection of him. They are celebrating their idolatry and their sin. Verse 19, and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets that God had given him, right? He threw the tablets of stone out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, look at this, verse 20. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder. And get this, this is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. Scattered it, he ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Now that's hardcore, you're right? Moses says, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't doing this. You better think twice about this. Oh, you want to become idolaters? You want to reject the one true God? You want to become this idol? Then that's exactly what you'll become. Now drink it. It's like when your kids don't eat their food. Now eat that food. (laughs) Verse 21. This is serious, right? Moses is not having this. And Moses said to Aaron, he looks at Aaron, he says, what did this people do to you? that you have brought such a great sin upon them. Whoa, what kind of excuse, what kind of lame excuse you think Aaron's gonna come up with? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil, shifting blame, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) What a joke, right? It's like, all right, kids, which one of you colored on the couch? Well, the the crayons. The crayons did it magically. It was them, right? I mean, that's essentially what Aaron is saying here. Like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I just threw it in the fire and the calf came out. Like, no, you didn't. (laughs) You carved this thing. You told them to bring their gold to you. You did this, Aaron. What are you thinking? Verse 25, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, all right, he says, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Right, this is a defining moment. Moses is saying, we're not doing this. We love the one true God. We're not going to give our hearts to something else, some idol. So who's, who's in this? 
Who's really in this for real? Who wants to really follow the Lord and not play these games, not give yourself to something else? All the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you. And I know what we're about to read sounds disturbing, but you have to understand that they are executing judgment as it is more than fair and deserved. Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. They are ridding these people of the cancerous sin that has filtrated through their camp. Judgment is being executed righteously through Moses and the Levites. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Look down at verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves, themselves gods of gold. But now if you forgive their sin, but if, if not... Moses tells God, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people. Because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. God is not going to tolerate sin. He is perfectly holy. He is at the top of this mountain trying, he's creating, right? He's not trying, he is, right? He's creating a way for his people to approach his holiness. That's loving, that's gracious of God, that a perfectly holy God would even consider to live among sinful creatures. But that's his love. That's his grace. That's his desire. He wants to live among us. Yet, the people do not understand. They are not grateful. They are not thankful that God even wants to know them and have a relationship with them. And God's holiness will not tolerate that kind of ungratitude, that kind of rebellion. They're in a covenant. They have made a real covenant with God through the blood sacrifice. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we saw that story, right? These people are sick. They are sick with sin. And this story shows us the symptoms of their sickness, their spiritual sickness. Maybe you have the same problem I do. If I have anything wrong with my body at all, I get on Google and I start typing in my symptoms. And then a few minutes later, I'm dying. <laughs> WebMD, you know, Mayo Clinics, it's all, I know it. I know all the websites. I know all the symptoms of all the problems, okay? And I think that I have them sometimes, right? 
But normally it's just, you know, maybe a common cold, right? That's what it usually is for us, right? But you know what? You know what symptoms we suffer from? You know what disease, what sickness we all have in common? Something I'm going to call today common idolatry. It's not the common cold. It's similar in the sense that, oh, it's very common. We all get it from time to time. But the symptoms are far worse than you may realize. That's what this story teaches us today, symptoms of common idolatry. The first symptom we see of common idolatry that we can see in this story today is this. We all want the same things, peace and purpose. That's really what the Israelites wanted. Look, look at back at verse 1. Right? Look at verse 1. What did they say to Aaron? They said, make us gods who shall go before us. Now that's very significant. Make us gods who shall go before us. What do they mean by that? Go before us. They mean lead us. We want something greater than ourselves to lead us to a better place. They recognize their need for something greater than themselves to direct their lives. They want purpose and meaning. They're looking for something worth living for. They want their lives to be secure. These people long for a better place. They're tired of living in the wilderness. They want a place of rest where life will have fulfillment and joy. Are we any different though? What Israel is expressing here are the innate and natural desires that we all share in common. Think about your life today. Like, what do you really want? I'm not talking about the stuff that you tell Santa that you want for Christmas, right? No, I'm talking about the real stuff, the real things that you want in life. We want our lives to have peace and joy. You want your life to have worth and value. You want to know that your life has a meaning and a purpose worth living for. You want to feel a sense of security in your life that everything is okay and that your future is well planned for. You want to have a sense of belonging, that you connect with others, that others approve of you and, and want you to be in their lives. We all want those same things. You could boil it down to peace and purpose. It's funny, you know, almost every Christmas story ends the same way, right? All of the Christmas movies, I know some of y'all don't even turn your TVs away from the Hallmark Channel these, this time of year, right? I'm praying for you, okay? But... All those Christmas movies, they all end the same way because at the end, at the end, it's not really about the gifts, right? It's not really about the gifts and the presents. Everybody's happy because there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of joy. They feel like they belong. Even Hollywood recognizes that we all crave the same things every human who's ever lived in every context. We all crave peace and purpose. And that brings us to the second symptom of common idolatry. Number two, we all stray the same way. So we all desire the same things, peace, purpose, right? But we all stray in the exact same way. 
You know what we do? We look to idols, just as the Israelites did, for those things, right? For the fulfillment of all those innate desires in us. You see, the reason we crave peace, security, purpose, and a better place is because we've lost those things. What I mean is there was a time when the human race had those things. There was a time when humans' desires were perfectly met and fulfilled. The first humans, in fact, are the only ones who experienced that, Adam and Eve, in a place called the Garden of Eden. What did they do? They did something very similar that the Israelites did. They had God. They had everything that they could want, but they rejected God's good gifts in exchange for a lie and worshiped the creation instead of the creator. You know what's happened then? We've all inherited this problem. We've all inherited that natural desire to pull away from God and to give ourselves to something else. We all feel that. We feel that loss of relationship with our creator. We feel in our bones the loss of the source and provider of all things. And so we all continue down this path of loss. We all stray the same way and we turn to what the Bible calls idols. Now, what is an idol? And when you think of an idol, you may think of exactly what we saw in the story today, right? Some kind of gold statue, maybe in another country where people occasionally go to it and bow down once a week or something like that. But actually, did you know anything, literally anything, can be an idol in your life? Timothy Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, one of the most influential books I've ever read. He says in that book that an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. Basically, anything you look at and say, if only I had that, then my life would be fine. If only I had this, I mean, you know, if we could just get that, or if I could just have this, oh, my life would be so great. I'd be so happy. Keller, in his book, he talks about the difference between surface idols and deep idols. This is very helpful in understanding the anatomy of idolatry. You see, when you think about a surface idol, what I mean is there are some things that are very visible and tangible and apparent in our lives that show us that we might have a problem. So in the story today, what was the surface idol? It was the calf, right? The golden calf is what we see. But what we can't see is something Keller calls the deep idols of the heart. The surface idol points, it's just, all it's doing is showing us that there's something deeper within us that is actually causing the worship, the allegiance, the money, and everything we throw at the surface idol, the golden calf in our lives. So for example, money could be the surface idol, right? You could be a slave to money and trying to gain more money. Even if you don't have a lot of money, maybe you think that money is your ticket. Right? If you just had more of that money, right? Blank, fill in the blank, money, right? I'd be happy. We're all tempted to believe that. But you know what? 
that's just a golden calf. You know what it's really pointing down deeper to in your heart? You want to feel secure. You want this sense of security that everything in your life is going to be okay. You want to know that your future is well planned for and your kids will have a good retirement, inheritance, and all these things. Ultimately, it's just security and money is the calf that we use to try to achieve that deeper idol. What about relationships, right? Maybe you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe you're married, right? Maybe, and don't even just think romantically, but just, right, maybe a work relationship, right? Though your coworkers, your, um, your associates, the people that you spend time with, right? Why do, we, why do we do things for them? Why do we compromise our beliefs to fit in with the crowd, so to speak? Or why do we perhaps even let them uh, abuse us in some way? Why, why do we just give in to what people want well, that's the surface idol, those relationships, but ultimately it's pointing to a deeper problem, our need for approval. We want to be approved by others. We want acceptance. Maybe it's excellence at your work or school. Maybe you have to have the best grades in your class. Maybe that was you when you were in school or maybe at work. You have to excel. You don't want any negative comment about your work. You get very defensive when someone criticizes your work and your effort. And what is that? That's just a surface idol pointing to your deeper idol, uh, your need for respect and success. People must respect you. You must have success to feel like your life has worth and value and meaning. Sports. Sports could be a big one. Groups that you belong to. Any group that you associate with. It's a surface idol and you spend so much money and time and effort towards it. But really, what's deeper than that? You want to have the sense of belonging. Do you see it? Oh, there's golden calves all over the place. But you only have one heart. And they're all pointing down to some deeper idol that has taken root. It's really controlling us. Everything we do, the words we say, the money we spend, the places we go. That's the second symptom of idolatry. We look to idols for fulfillment. The third symptom of common idolatry is this. We all suffer the same consequences. The consequences are very unfortunate. It's destruction first, and that leads to death. Common idolatry is far worse than that common cold I mentioned earlier because it destroys relationships. Did you notice how the Israelites began to behave while pursuing their idols of peace and purpose? We just want someone to go before us. Hey, Aaron, listen, we don't know what Moses is doing, but we just want a better place. We want security, Moses, or Aaron, right? We want security. We want to go to a better place. We just need something to, to steer us and lead us, right? It destroys relationships, though, because what do they do? They, they grow impatient with Moses and with God, and so look at the characteristics that are bubbling out of their wicked hearts, right? They're demanding to Aaron, up, they say, up, Aaron. Get up, Aaron. Do this for us. Make, this, this, make us this golden calf. They're insensitive to Moses. We don't know what's become of him. Let's just forget him. Let's just go on without him, right? They're demanding, they're insensitive. And then Aaron, what about Aaron? He's defensive when Moses confronts him. Oh, it wasn't me, it was them, right? He's shifting the blame. I don't know, just threw it in the fire, out came a calf, I don't know what happened, right? Yes, you do. He's shifting blame, he gets defensive. He's illogical. 
You see, our idols, whatever it is that you can't live without, they make us so fixated, right? They make, so, they make us so fixated on them that they slowly destroy our spiritual sensibilities and awareness. The Israelites were becoming more and more illogical. They were becoming dull to reality. And what about the singing and the dancing around this golden calf? Their hearts are becoming numb, numb to their own sin. They're celebrating their sin, not even thinking twice about it. Israelites were sacrificing their lives to this idol while going about their everyday lives as they laid down, as they rose up to play, as they ate and they drank. Not even second-guessing it. Exodus 32, verse 6, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, just going about their lives. If you have put something in the place of God in your life, guess what you're doing? The same thing. You're just going through your normal routines and your heart is growing numb. Your heart is growing callous. Your heart is growing cold to what is actually happening to you and you can't even see it. If it's success, like I mentioned earlier, money, Maybe you're going about your day working long hours, but what's really happening, you're neglecting time with your family. If it's approval and acceptance that you must have, maybe you are going or giving in to some kind of sexual sin in some way. If it's comfort, if it's rest that you must have, Maybe you have no problem zoning out for hours, binging your favorite shows, but when someone asks you if you've done a Bible study recently, you don't know what to say. We're no better, are we? We're no better than the Israelites. Oh, we make sacrifices every day. We sacrifice to our idols, and we don't even see it. We sing, and we dance, and we give them what they want. They are controlling us, and we don't even know. What's even worse is we slowly become like our idols, and that's what was happening. Do you see that? That's what's happening here. The Israelites are are becoming exactly like a golden calf. They're becoming like an inanimate object with no feelings, no reasoning, no spiritual awareness. Thad read this for us earlier during worship. That's what Psalm 115 is discussing. Verses 4 through 8, it says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Look at this, verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That is the root problem of the human heart. Every single one of us If we're not careful, if we're not living according to the word of God and listening to Jesus and following him, if we're not seeking him, and I'm going to give you some points later on how to do this, but I'm just telling you, if it's not happening, you know what's happening? Your eyes are no longer seeing, your hands are no longer feeling, your ears are no longer listening or hearing. You're becoming like your idol. You're a slave to it. That's why Moses made them drink the golden calf after he ground it into powder to show them that you are what you worship. Is this happening to you? 
Are you becoming like your idols? Are you slowly losing your spiritual awareness and vitality? Do you feel it in your bones spiritually that you're just dry? You wonder, why am I, why do I feel this way? I don't feel the Lord's presence in my life. I don't feel like my relationship with my spouse is where it needs to be. I don't feel like I'm connecting with others well. Why am I feeling this way? The feelings are driven by allegiance. It's worship. Are you worshiping something that you're sacrificing to and you still have God in your life? Did you notice? Did you notice that Aaron, he didn't completely reject God. They were going to worship the calf and hold a festival to the Lord at the same time. And Christian, let me say that it is so easy for us in our rich American world to do this, to give ourselves to idols, yet still somehow come to church on Sunday and think that both can coexist. Yet we leave here and we wonder why we don't feel right. It's a cancer. Idolatry is a cancer that slowly consumes you. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It seems right, doesn't it? It seems right. A lot of the good things in life, by the way, let me just say that. A lot of the good things in life are things that we turn into idols. Keller talks about that as well. He says, you know, it's usually a good thing. It's often something good in your life that you make an ultimate thing. So most of our idols are not necessarily terrible. They're good efforts and good things, but we have turned them into gods. But God brought judgment. He brought judgment and discipline against Israel for violating their covenant with him. And that shows us that God takes sin seriously in the lives of his people. We must beware of the destruction and death our idolatry will bring. Ultimately, the death is eternal. It separates us from God. It cuts us off. What's the cure? Is there a cure to common idolatry? Number four, we all have the same choice. We're all going to suffer the same consequences if it doesn't stop but we all have the same choice it's either the one true savior or all these other little saviors that we've tried to create because our flesh is weak the magnetic pull towards idolatry will be strong john calvin famously said man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols a perpetual factory of idols one after the other you know it's like the old arcade game. You guys remember Whack-A-Mole? Remember that? Yeah, it was so fun. I mean, you could take out a lot of anger playing Whack-A-Mole. It was great, right? <laughs> those, mole, those little moles come out of those holes. What do you do? You just whack them, right? Whack. You just whack them. You keep whacking those moles, right? And they keep popping up. And that's exactly what idolatry does. As soon as you think you have conquered one, your heart is going to create another. As soon as you think you've got that one under control, you're going to see another one popping up in your life. So you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to fight. And, each, and in each of these fights, you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to give myself to the one true Savior or do I realize that I'm slowly slipping and I'm starting to make sacrifices to this little tiny S Savior? Are you going to choose Jesus and his grace instead of something in this world Moses said in verse 30, 
Did you notice he said, perhaps I can make atonement? Perhaps Moses could make atonement. Jesus Christ, the greater and better Moses, came to earth and he says, I can. Jesus can and has made atonement. He can and has paid the price for your sin. So here's the best news you can hear today. You don't have to. You don't have to give yourself to those little golden calves in your life. You don't have to give yourself and become a slave to the deep idols and desires of your heart. But there is fulfillment. There is fulfillment. Jesus took your sin of idolatry on himself so that you do not have to sacrifice to those things. He is your sacrifice completely and fully. You don't have to be enslaved to the things of this world anymore. You don't have to be fooled like the Israelites. You can find peace and purpose in Christ Jesus himself. You know what? Hey, you want approval? Do you want approval? Yes, you do. I do. We all do. And guess what? You've got it. The God of the universe loves you. He accepts you. He approves of you because of Jesus standing in your place. Do you want to be successful? You've got success. Jesus' perfect record of righteousness, the perfect life he lived, he lived for you as your substitute, and he has given you that record, that successful life. It is yours. Do you want security? <laughs> you have a heavenly home. That's your future. Your future is as secure as Christ's because his future is yours. You have a secure future. You have a heavenly home waiting with you with an inheritance, the inheritance of the kingdom of God given to you. Do you see it? The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, gives us all of the fulfillment of those good desires we have. It's not wrong that we want approval. It's not wrong that we want peace and that we want purpose. It's that we're looking in the wrong places. Christ gives us those fully, completely, forever. The ultimate punishment. The ultimate punishment. You see, God brought punishment and judgment on the Israelites that day. But guess what? You don't have to be punished because Jesus was punished for you. The ultimate punishment for your idolatry has already fallen on him. You are free. You are free in Christ. And you have everything you could ever now, ever need, now and forevermore. So you know what we got to do? We got to live in that freedom. Live in that freedom. And maybe you're thinking, you know, Pastor, I get that. And I want that. But how? How can the idols of my heart really be overcome? Well, I want to share some insight one last time from Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. This is too good and too practical not to share with you. All right? Here it is. Curing common idolatry. All right? So three things you're going to have to do. You're going to have to identify the idol. All right? So in other words, you're going to have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what is it in my life that I really cannot live without? What is it that I'm giving myself to? What is it that is numbing me to the reality of the spiritual, uh, my spiritual sensibilities and awareness? What am I looking at and saying I cannot, or if I had this, I'd be happy, or I cannot live without this? Ask those questions. Ask the Lord. Just ask the Lord to reveal those to you. Number two, what, right? What can you do to uproot? 
Well, you have to uproot the idol. Well, listen, again, that's going to be the Lord's work. So you ask him, Lord, I know that I have this problem, right? I know that I'm seeking approval from others and it's, it's changing the way I behave. I'm doing things I shouldn't do, right? Because I just really want acceptance and approval from others. So Lord, please uproot this idol. Let me find all the approval I would ever need in you, Lord Jesus. Please, Jesus, let me find my approval in you. And would you melt away my anger? Would you melt away my defensiveness? Would you melt away all the sins that bubble to the surface of my heart because deep down I'm looking to other things for approval? Lord Jesus, uproot this idol. Just pray. Pray like that. Be specific with the Lord. Number three, the idol's gonna have to be replaced. Keller says if you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. You're gonna have to replace the idol. How do you do that? Well, four things I think are very helpful here. Number one, use the word of God. Use the Bible. Get into God's word, right? Are you? Are you listening to the words of God? Are you being obedient to his commands, right? Prayer. Speak, talk, listen to the Lord. Speak to the Lord. Tell him everything that you're anxious about. Maybe that's getting, maybe he's going to use those prayer times that you spend with him to drive down deeper in your heart and reveal to you these idols that are controlling you. Church, we need each other. We need each other. Come and experience the worship, right? Come here and sing to God. Come here every Sunday and sing praises to him and thank him for how good he is. Tell him how good he is with other Christians. Do it together in this room. Be a part of a community group. Make Christian friends, right? Get involved with other Christians and let them help you. It's okay. None of us have it all figured out. We're all broken people. We all struggle with idolatry, myself included. We all need each other. Isn't it good of God to give us these things? He didn't leave us hanging. Not only did he give us abundant life and eternity and salvation, he gave us these practical resources right now in the right here and now for you so that your common idolatry can be conquered. It can. Chemotherapy, different types of chemotherapy attack cells in different ways. And that's exactly how you're going to need to use these great resources and means of grace that God's given us to really attack the cancerous idolatry that is in our hearts. Don't neglect these things. These are good gifts from God. We need a full-blown attack on our idols or else they'll keep popping back up. May we devote ourselves to nothing in this world. May we look to nothing else in this world to give us the peace and the purpose that we so desire other than Jesus Christ himself.